I am glad to be here because I know that there is a strong band, a strong group of praying men and women in this church. And it makes a tremendous difference to the servant of God who comes to speak when people have been praying, seriously praying. I have been attending a number of meetings recently here in the church, and I have sensed an unusual sense of the presence of God and of the atmosphere of another world. And you don't often find that in meetings. There are too many meetings that are too casual nowadays. There's a lot of considerations from the Bible shared. They are too casual, clearly, and perhaps are also too academic, uh, clearly. I hope that you will be able to follow me tonight as I take you on a journey uh, in the Word of God. There are some places we read in the Scriptures. In fact, there are very many. And there are some topics that preachers discuss and share with congregations. And preachers would be well advised, and congregations too, to take off their shoes while those passages are being read. And when those doctrines and teachings and details of events are being shared, because they are absolutely awesome, and we should approach the Word of God with great trembling and great reverence as we do so. The passage I'm about to read just now is one of those. And um, if we do not remove our shoes um, in real terms, we can uh, spiritually uh, think about uh, doing something like what Moses did when he approached the burning bush. I'm referring you now, please, to the Gospels. I could read from one of three or even four Gospels because the same passage is recorded. There is such a thing as a law of comprehensive mention or multiple mention. And when the Scripture mentions a topic or records a situation, not once or twice, but four times. It's a weighty, a weighty record. It's a weighty and a very important passage. And it's one that the Holy Spirit was very particular and careful that we should get as much and as many details as is possible. Uh, clearly, and we find that indeed in the passage this evening. So we're turning to the gospel by Mark, please. We'll read Mark's account, and it's chapter number 14, and we're reading from verse number 32. And before we read, I want to pray just briefly. Gracious Father, this meeting in its entirety has been handed over to Thee, from the very, very beginning and even long before it began, 
by not one or two, but by many people. And just now, as we stand in your awesome presence with the book of God open, realizing that we're here to speak on your behalf, we stand trembling and in utter dependence upon thee to bring your word sincerely and with great clarity and power and point uh, to the people. And I ask you, Lord, for your enablement. Academic acumen and wide knowledge of facts, even Bible facts, is not sufficient for this moment. No, not at all. We need the gracious effusion of the Holy Ghost and fire sent down from heaven. And I pray for that, Lord. I pray for my portion as I stand to speak, and I pray for the portion of the entire congregation. There's something in the book of God tonight for everybody. And so I pray again that you would prepare every heart, turn every heart into a receptacle. And I pray, Lord, as the blessings of God and as the truth of God is poured out, I pray that it will fill that receptacle. And I pray that what is put into the hearts of the people, that it would bring about impacting change. If you are speaking in this meeting tonight, that must happen. That must happen. There must be a change. We desire not only to be changed in the meeting, but as we go home, and as we go to our workplace tomorrow, and as we live with our family, and as we take our place either in this church or another one, that there'll be a difference in our lives. We pray for that, and I pray for that. So, Lord, come in your own inimitable way and do what is in your heart. Thy will be done in this meeting as it is in heaven. I pray giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been described by Bertie as the preacher that comes from Africa. <clears throat> if I were to be that kind of person tonight, the meeting would last for a minimum of four hours. Are you ready for that? Some of you laugh, or you're trying to laugh, but you don't really uh, want that kind of thing to happen. But you know, when God is at work, eternity takes over, and we forget about time. In a lot of churches where I preach, there are no clocks, but there are calendars. Imagine that. Wouldn't you just love it to be like that? You're saying nothing. You're very wise indeed. <clears throat> Let's read now, please, from Mark chapter 14, and verse number 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. The name means the place of the olive press, and you know the connotations of that as the story unfolds. And Jesus saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. 
and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is willing, or is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time, and he saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. I repeat, that is a very, very sacred and a deeply awesome insight into the life of the Son of God. It may not be easy for us all to enter into it as deeply as we would like or to understand it fully. But it shows to us in a very graphic way the humanity of the Son of God. How weak as a man at this particular point in time, how vulnerable, and how burdened down, and how challenging the circumstances that were in front of him were. The humanity of Christ is very, very evident there. He's pleading in his physical and earthly vulnerability and weakness with his heavenly Father to take away the cup of suffering that was being pressed towards his lips. He felt he was not able. And even at this early point, and very poignantly part the way through the deep and terrible ordeal of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus was very, very, very close to the point of death. Not many realize that. Before he was tied to the whipping post, 
and flogged by a strong soldier. He felt death was very close in Gethsemane. And off after the, the manhandling of a garrison of soldiers and being so rudely, shamefully abused, manhandled, and treated in the most disgusting and detestable way, I am saying he was greatly, greatly weakened and broken down in terms of his strength. But here I am saying he was felt himself close to death. And as he carried the cross towards the hill of Golgotha, he felt also very, very, very weak. And I think that a lot of the weakness that he afterwards felt had come upon him in Gethsemane. And it's no small surprise that he was the first amongst the three, the other two malefactors. He was the first of the three that were hanging on those crosses to expire. And of course, we know principally that was because he was bearing the uh, entire sins of the entire world, of all the centuries and the millenniums of time since civilization and humanity began. We can't really fathom that. We see the humanity, I repeat, of the Lord Jesus. And it's deeply, deeply touching. I want to draw your attention attention to something, and I want to keep it in focus, if I can, throughout the entire message I'm bringing to you now. And it has... It has to do with this moment in the life of the Lord Jesus being a non-precedented moment. This event, nothing, nothing like it ever, ever happened in history before. And in Jesus' entire earthly life, nothing like this happened before. This is something Completely new. This is something in a category of its own. That's why I say it's very, very sacred, very special, and very impacting. An unprecedented moment. Just an hour or two before, Jesus was breaking bread with his disciples. About a 10, maximum 15-minute walk up uh, into inside the city walls of Jerusalem. Some of you have been in those places and you will be familiar with them. And that was also a very special time. Actually, technically, it was celebrating the feast of the Passover, the Passover of the angel of death in Egypt long, long, long time ago. And when the blood was on the door, the angel of death passed over and the firstborn of that family or families were spared. And remember what happened in the Egyptian families and indeed in the palace of Pharaoh himself. The angel of death came and life was taken. Probably many hundreds of thousands died. So he was celebrating the Last Supper and it was a very sacred moment. When he broke the unleavened bread and invited everybody to eat. 
there was other food on the table. Um, it was literally a feast. Remember, it's called the Feast of the Passover. And this is, um, it may be uh, um, quite a, a small part of the event, but it's a very major part at the same time. They broke the unleavened bread and they ate it. And it was there that Jesus said, applying it to himself, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, I have been preaching for a very long time and a student of Scripture for a very long time, and I've yet to fathom the depths of that statement. And then when the cup was passed around, um, Jesus invited everybody to drink. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, the new testament. He says, drink of it. This is my blood which was shed or is about to be shed for you. That was the inference. That was also a very, very, very sacred moment. When we come around the Lord's table, some do so on, us, on the basis of each Lord's Day, some do it once a month and some more infrequently, but it's a very special moment, a very special moment. And that event, that event was unprecedented. Not the feast of the Passover, but the institution of the Lord's Supper, that was the first time that the Last Supper, as we call it, Jesus' last meal before he went to the cross, was actually shared in that upper room in Jerusalem. And that was very much in the minds of everybody who were present. And they sang a hymn, or possibly a psalm, and they made their journey. Ten, fifteen minutes, I said, to the garden. It's quite small nowadays, but it was very extensive back in the time of Jesus. It could have been as large as 10, 20, or 30 acres, maybe even bigger. It was a very big place. It was a huge business in terms of uh, an olive grove. Hence, its name, Gethsemane, the olive press, was actually there where they manufactured the olive oil, and uh, they, they traded uh, that product in the marketplace. So Jesus took his disciples with him. It's interesting, uh, in the upper room, I want to point this out to you, in the upper room, Jesus said at that last supper, he said, uh, there's one of you here who is going to betray me. And he even said something to the effect that uh, there was a devil operative behind that person. And a number asked, in fact, they asked each other, they dare not come to Jesus to ask the question. And they asked, they inquired, is it I? Is it me? Am I the one you're referring to? And that indicates to me that there was a little bit of uncertainty 
in the minds of some in regard to their standing in the apostolic band. They wondered. They wondered. Remember there was one there, and Jesus had actually said around that time uh, to Peter directly, who had, pro, who had confessed that he was willing to go to prison for Jesus. He was willing actually to die for Jesus. And he even had the audacity to say, everybody might forsake you, but I'll not. I'll, I'll stand. I'll be the last one standing. I'll not let you down. And Jesus said, hold on, Peter. Hold on. Take it easy. Before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Now, I point these things out to you uh, for a reason. There was all manner of individuals there in that little band of 11 or 12. One left the upper room before the group left. That was Judas Iscariot. And who knows, who knows what might have been the outcome if everybody that was there at the time, at the beginning, if everybody was as close to Jesus as they ought to have been, and listened as closely to Jesus and the advice that he was giving, and he took very, very seriously his invitation to a prayer meeting. It was not a vacation. It was not a sightseeing exercise. They were invited to a prayer meeting. What do people do in a prayer meeting? For why? They pray. And I want you to know that prayer is a very, very serious matter. A very serious business. I think it's one of the most serious businesses of the church. And one of the most serious and ought to be one of the most central activities in the Christian life and in the Christian home. How serious and how central is prayer in your home, in your family, in your private life. If your example was to be the guide uh, to the rapidly growing up members of your family and household, if that was to be the guide to show them how to conduct themselves in relation to prayer and spiritual things in years to come, how would you be influencing your family? This much I do know, that a lot of parents are embarrassed for their children to see them on their knees. When their children come into their room, where they pray, if they're on their knees, they quickly jump up and pretend they were looking for something that they had dropped on the floor. Because they feel like it's a, a little bit private or embarrassing. That's entirely wrong of you to behave in that manner. Your children need to see you on your knees, unashamedly, whatever part of the house you happen to be in and where you pray. So I'm saying that prayer is a very serious and a very important factor. Jesus invited them to a prayer meeting. And that is what I want to talk about tonight, um, although I'm going to come back to the thought I just mentioned at the beginning. I want to talk about the crisis of prayer in the church. The church is in crisis. The, 
the church is in crises. It's in a whole lot of crises. It's in crises because some brothers and sisters are not loving each other. They refuse to sit on the same side of the church. They refuse to say good morning or God bless you or shake hands. That's a crisis. There's a crisis in terms of people refusing to be involved. They want to sit on the back seats. What if all the seats in the church were a back seat? A lot of people, I don't mean it in an unkind way, but a lot of people, for some reason, they like to come early to get sitting in a back seat or to sit where they would like to sit. I'm not saying there's any bad uh, intention in that, but I am saying people like to be uh, lost or hidden in a congregation. They don't want to get involved. How on earth can we take the gospel to the ends of the earth? How can the church fulfill the Great Commission or even fulfill its local commission in taking the gospel to its own community if everybody does not do their part? We must get involved. And if you're finding that difficult, you must pray until you pray, pray through and until you find your place in the church and you begin to do it. I'm saying there's a crisis in that area. There's also a crisis of integrity and morality. There's no doubt about it. There's many in the house of God not living right. There are many husbands who are unfaithful to their wives and vice versa. And there are children that are misbehaving in a way if their parents knew about it, they would be totally, totally shocked and ashamed. There is a lot of sin that's covered in the house of God. Do I find that uh, uh, convenient? Or do I find it uh, uh, easy to talk about? Not really. Not really. But there's a crisis of integrity. There are many who think nothing of telling lies. There are many who don't keep their word. There are many who lose their temper on a regular basis. There are many even who steal and fill in their government papers and returns incorrectly in order to advantage and benefit themselves. There is, I am saying, a crisis of integrity. I can even go further and it's common for me to talk about this in Africa, but it needs to be talked about more in Northern Ireland and in the United Kingdom. There's witchcraft in the house of God. There are many who dabble in the occult. There are many who actually bet in betting shops. And they participate in the national lottery. And many of them are professing Christians. There are many who go to fortune tellers and who practice all manner of things that are most detestable and that are strictly, strictly and very on, on, on pain of death are forbidden in the Word of God. So there's a crisis. But here's the crisis I want to talk about uh, tonight. The crisis of prayer in the church. 
Not enough to talk about prayer, to read books about prayer, to listen to sermons about prayer. Not enough to make plans about how to upgrade or how to expand and improve your prayer life. You need to get down uh, to serious praying business. Really, the best way to learn to pray is to pray. Start somewhere and start now, clearly. I do believe sincerely if the Church of Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland was in the place where it ought to be, and if we prayed as Christians in the New Testament should pray, some of the situations we find ourselves in at the present time would not be happening. Would not be happening. Could not happen. Could not even dare get near the gate of happening. We are leaving our weapons down. We are taking our armor off. And we're not inviting the devil, but we are allowing him a free hand to do what he wants to do. And I say, shame on you and shame on me that we make it easy for him to do so. I say, (coughs) by not praying, by not taking prayer seriously, we are helping the devil to damn the world. And we are weakening rather than strengthening the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not speaking facetiously, but I want to say, if you think I'm speaking too strongly, and if you are already uh, criticizing me in your heart, that's okay. That's okay. Your criticism will not affect me, not that much. But may I say that your criticism is already known to God. The Holy Spirit is inspecting our conscience and our thoughts and our reaction to what is being said already in the meeting. There's a crisis of prayer in the church. But let me come back again to this point about what's happening is unprecedented. I want to level it up to a point so that you can really understand this. And then there comes an application. And in telling the full story, the greatest event of all time is about to happen. The greatest single event of all time. The world waited for 4,000 years for the Messiah to come. And now he has come and he has been on the earth for 30 years, less or more. And now he's about to do the work that he came to do that had been prophesied for millennium of time. And he started that process by the story I mentioned at the beginning, and that is um, the Last Supper that he celebrated with his disciples. And then he makes his journey to Gethsemane. And something happened in Gethsemane that I could never explain. That's why I say that it's very, very sacred. Something happened in Gethsemane. Jesus brought 11. Well, there were 11. Judas went off to betray his Lord. And I do pause 
to say this to you, lest it escapes my mind a little later in the message. If Judas had have taken a grip of himself, as we say in Northern Ireland, if he had reconsidered the, the serious consequences of his behavior in betraying or selling Jesus for 30 pieces of dirty money, albeit silver, <coughs> if he had not left that meeting in the upper room before the time, and if he had come to Gethsemane, and if he had taken his place there, and if he had broken his heart in supplication and in deep prayer in support of the Lord Jesus and what the Lord Jesus was about to face, if he had taken his place, the end, the, the despicable end, and giving place to the devil <coughs> to push him over the edge in a suicide's death and to take him to hell, if he had put prayer and if he had put the things I've been talking about already in their proper place, things would have been so, so much different for him. And I'm talking about Peter, and I'm talking about the other disciples, because remember, in a very short period of time, in a number of hours, they all forsook him and fled. They all left him. They all let him down at a moment when their support would really, really have counted. So the eleven, excluding Judas, came in at the gate. I think there may well have been an entrance point to Gethsemane. Then I say it was a big place and a place that Jesus frequented. We're told that Judas knew the place. All the disciples knew the place. It was a place that was special to Jesus when he came to get in touch or to commune with his heavenly Father. It was on the foothills of the Mount of Olives. And a lot of Jesus' teachings and a lot of his private life in prayer, intercession, and planning for the day happened there when he was in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And Jesus left a group of his disciples <clears throat> uh, near the gate, near the entrance point. Eight of them, excluding Judas, and then the three that formed part of an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. James and John being brothers. They, being part of the inner circle, Jesus said, come on in a little further into the garden with me. And I'm sure that he gave the same information to all of them. He said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. That's a watch word. That's a marker in the sand of time for the Christian. Watch and pray. What does all of that mean? Jesus was saying to them, in effect, 
there are challenges facing you and facing all of us. And he was saying to them, be on your guard. During this time, this is a different time that we've moved into now. Be alert. Be on your guard. You might think he was telling them to be watchful because the guards from the temple were on their way or would be on their way in an hour uh, to arrest him. You wonder if that could have been in his mind, but he wasn't thinking of that. I think the application is very much a spiritual one. Watch! And I want to say to you, if you want to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a young person whose life is marked by prayer, you need to be very, very watchful. You need to be very much on your guard. You need to watch that slot of time every day. Every day when you have your thrice with God. Remember, the Lord used, used to come down and he used to walk with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. Do you ever, ever, ever think there was a time when the Lord came down and Adam wasn't there? Do you think the Lord ever failed to show up to that rendezvous point? I don't think so. And I think that that in Adam in his unfallen state, he would never, never, never have wanted to have missed that moment. That was sacred beyond words. <clears throat> he was always there. He was always on time. It was special. And I say you need to watch your devotional life, your reading of the Scriptures. Please don't neglect the reading of the Scriptures. <clears throat> substituting it for a devotional book. Use the devotional book, yes, but don't make the devotional book a substitute for reading the Bible. I gave my life to Christ over 55 years ago, and in my first Bible, which I still have, I've rebound it. I've indicated that in approximately one year after finding Christ, I'd read the entire Bible through from cover to cover. I've noted when I read it for a second time and for a third time. And it was almost measuring out at once every year. Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing to be racing through the Scriptures just for the sake of it, but we need to be reading the Word of God every day. Remember, <coughs> the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible, and it's part of your devotional life. You need to designate quality time to meet with God. And I say, if you're going to a prayer meeting in the church, and you're not praying at home, you are defeated. You are defeated. You're going to church is only good if you are a parent, when you have a, a private time alone with God, each day, not just once, and a while when you feel like it, and when you meet together as a family, my wife and I have done that all through our family life, and we still do it. Did it even before we got married, when we were courting. We never parted without prayer. Prayer has been an integral part of our lives. And what we are or are not before God, I say it's largely due to prayer or the neglect of it. 
I've been sent by God tonight to call the church and everybody here to prayer. Everybody, watch and pray. Watch that place. Watch that point in your life every day. And make sure that you connect with God. Wait until you hear his voice. Wait until you see his face. Wait until you feel his gentle hand on your shoulder talking to you as a heavenly father is wont to do. He will talk to you and he will guide you. I am saying if the church, if every member of the church and the leadership of the church got to that point, do you know something? Within three months, there would be revival fires burning in the church. But all the praying is left to a very few, a very few. And I'm talking about deep, serious, impacting Holy Ghost prayer. Oh, my brothers and sisters, am I talking to your heart? And above and beyond my voice, are you hearing the voice of God? How healthy is your prayer life? How real is God in your life? If the reality of God in your life was tested by the place you give to prayer, would that be convincing? Would it be convincing in regard to how you you are progressing and prospering spiritually? This is not a small matter. There's a crisis in the church. And it's a crisis relating to prayer. Prayer in our homes. Prayer in the house of God. And we take it too casually, as I said at the beginning, too casually. But here is my point, and I've delayed a little getting to it, but I needed to say what I have said. Jesus was depending on his disciples, all of them. And I think a little bit more on Peter, James, and John. He said, wait here. And I think, I think there might have been within Eve's dropping, obviously they were because the words are recorded. They didn't make them up. They heard the words that Jesus was praying out loud. They heard them, Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering, let this dark, deep cup of suffering pass from me. Father, 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 I feel, I feel I cannot take it. I cannot, I cannot face it. If it be possible, Let it pass from me. Take it out of my hands. Surely there's another way. Maybe, and maybe not some thoughts like that, may have been in the mind of the Master. In his vulnerability, I said, and in his humanity. Remember, he was as much a man as any of us (coughs) uh, who are men in the house tonight. 
And he had, he had his challenges. <clears throat> but he was depending on Peter, James, and John to stand with him and to prayer and to hold him up, to hold him up, to hold him up. You know how it is <coughs> with mountaineers? <coughs> you know when, when, when one of the mountaineers uh, uh, is holding a rope, holding a rope, and there's somebody on that rope uh, deep in a crevasse, and he's holding that rope, and the life of that man or those people down there depends on that man who's holding the rope. When you think of your pastor and his difficult, difficult ministry at this difficult time in the history of Northern Ireland, and when you think of other men and women in ministry and missionaries on the missionary front, and the danger that some of them are in, you are standing there holding the rope. And it depends, yes, on the missionary. It depends a lot on the pastor and the evangelist. But it depends perhaps even more on you. Are you doing your job? And if not, why? You better think up a good reason before you stand before the judgment seat. That will be the moment of truth. You better think up a good reason. And I serve you notice in advance. No reason will be good enough to excuse you. You are culpable if you have failed your Lord and his servants in their vital work. So Jesus was depending upon them. An unprecedented moment in the life of the Lord Jesus. It was an unprecedented opportunity for the disciples. But they missed it. They missed it. They were sleeping when they ought to have been praying. You say, oh, please, please, don't raise your voice. Please, allow me to raise my voice when I feel I need to because what I'm talking about is serious. Soon the world will be on fire. One of these days, there'll be vast armies congregating in the Middle East. Don't you think that COVID-19 is a chance happening? It's a marker in the sands of time. Jesus is coming very, very soon. And believe me, this is just the beginning of sorrows. I'm not suggesting it's part of the Great Tribulation because I believe that's something quite different that will happen at a later point uh, when the saints are raptured. You're allowed to disagree with me, and we will still be friends. But I'm saying COVID-19 is a red flag. It's the ringing of a bell. But how many are listening? How many understand it in that context? We have all manner of explanations, but we haven't got any very spiritual angles on the matter. Dear people... This is the application now. We are living in unprecedented times. Who ever would have thought that same-sex marriage would have been imposed so stealthfully, so blatantly, so soon, without the people of our beloved Northern Ireland being consulted about it, who ever would have thought that would have taken place in the manner that it did? 
Who ever would have thought that the most stringent form of abortion or the murder of innocent unborn children whom society calls fetuses and not a person. We totally differ with that explanation. Who ever would have thought that over our heads and without consultation, in fact, with a lot of protests that were taking place over a long period of time before um, lockdown and COVID um, two years and more ago, whoever would have thought that would have happened. And up until Christmas, I think there were at least well over a thousand babies that were aborted. And when it is fully, fully implemented, there will be many thousands being murdered every year. Who would have thought that these things would be happening? I want to put it to you uh, uh, tonight that if prayer means anything, if prayer is a spiritual weapon as I believe it is, if God is behind prayer, if God answers prayer, don't you think that real, (coughs) intercessory, serious, dynamic Holy Ghost prayer could have done something to have stalled all those processes? I'm one who believes sincerely it could have done. And if I point the finger in this direction, I'm aware that there's an accumulation pointing back at me, so I take my own responsibility on that. Two, the church has stopped praying. The church has lost its burden to pray. You cannot pray without a burden. You cannot pray prayers that are effective unless you pray in the Holy Ghost. Prayers in a book that you recite are not sufficient. Prayer must come not from your memory and your intellect, although that's an important part. Prayer must come from the deepest part of you. I've been seeking God whether or not he wanted me to preach about Jabez this evening in this meeting. But the Lord shut me in. He shut me in because of the time of year it is. It's still Easter. We were celebrating the resurrection yesterday morning. <coughs> and it's only, it's only a few days uh, since we were celebrating Good Friday. And I'm saying these events that I've been talking about happened, happened, at least insofar as our church calendar is concerned. We might not be spot on the date, but I'm saying they're on the church calendar. So God left me here with this word to bring to you tonight. And when Jabez prays, we're told he called on the God of Israel. He called on the God of Israel. And he started off his prayer, Oh! You see, you shouldn't make noises like that. Well, for your information, Jabez did. Oh! You try and say, oh, without, without feeling your diaphragm expanding. It's coming from the bottom, the bottom, the bottom of your being. It's coming from here. Oh! That thou wouldest bless me indeed! He called on the God of Israel. That man was serious. 
And he prayed for a whole lot of things. And God answered him in every department of what he prayed for in that whole lot of things. God granted him what he requested. Oh, dear church, people of God, I'm saying we've got the keys. We have got the keys. We've got the armor. We've got the weapons to shake the very heavens and to indeed not just rattle but to crush the gates of hell. And why aren't we doing it? Oh, you say you're taking it too far. Is that because you know too little about prayer? Is that because you are feeling deeply guilty about your culpability and your negligence? Is that, is that why? Oh, my dear people, it's not too late. It's not too late, but very soon it will be. I say Jesus left his disciples with this mandate. Watch and pray and see him wrestling. See him wrestling. See the tears streaming down his cheeks. Father, Father, see his body quivering. See his body quivering. Hear this, these words coming from the deepest depth of his heart. Father, let this cup pass from me. But if, if, if it's not possible, Lord, <coughs> I'm going through. I'll drink all of this cup uh, to its deepest dark dregs. I, I, I'll go to the cross. I, I'll do. I'll do all your will, Lord. And he's wondering how the intercessory group is getting on. So he leaves. He leaves. And by the way, the Scripture gives us some insights into the prayers of Jesus and his prayer life. We read in the book of the Hebrews, and I believe, I believe this is a direct reference to Gethsemane. Hebrews 5 and 7, in the days of his flesh, referring to the Lord Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, Unto him that was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. The prayer life of Jesus was something dynamic. And those who made the biggest impact for God made the biggest impact through their prayer lives. And I am calling you to serious prayer. I'm calling you to take your place on the front row. If you are washed in the blood of Jesus, if you are the property of Jesus Christ, if the devil is no longer in control of your life, you free yourself to be a vessel and to be indeed a part of God's army to stop the devil and the powers of darkness. That are in array against us. It's going to get hotter. It's going to get harder. And it's only the true and the serious and the genuine praying men and women that are going to make it through. Oh, brothers and sisters, hear me. We need to 
get our act together. It's not the politicians, as we often say, that are going to work this thing out. No. Actually, they're going to complicate it. They're going to create a lot of confusion. And they're going to be the object of a lot of laughter. And many will poke fun, as they always do, the politicians. But I want to tell you, when the church gets down to business, there'll be no, there'll be no um, nonsense, there'll be no um, laughter uh, like what I'm talking about. Because things will happen. Things will happen. God will take the field. I believe God wants to send a spiritual awakening to the church. Do you share that? God wants to send revival. Amen, Bertie. God wants to send revival. God wants to do something different, something completely, completely new. God wants to turn this thing around. But it's going to be through prayer or not at all. And I don't care how few meet together to pray or how young they might be or who they are. Please don't criticize them. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't be uh, uh, finding your reasons and your excuses and, 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 and browbeating them and making uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of snide remarks. I am saying be a part. Be a part of the prayer life of the church and get prayer going in your home. Oh, I trust God is real to you. And so Jesus comes back and he finds Peter, James, and John. I'm trying to emphasize my point. I hope I've succeeded. When the church is sleeping, you know she's not praying. When the church is sleeping, it is defeated. When the church is sleeping, the devil and his demons are laughing. He's saying, these people, these Christians, you know, they could defeat me so easily. They could defeat me so easily. <laughs> They've got the weapons and they don't know it. They refuse to use them. They're partying. Love to go to the restaurant and love to get their carry out, not alcohol, but food from restaurants and, and, and fast food uh, depots and all the like, but have no interest in the prayer meeting of the church. The church, I repeat, is in crisis. And it's no wonder that many families are in crises. Was ever there a time in Northern Ireland when there was so many suicides? It may be that somebody here, some family here, your family has been affected by suicide. Behind every suicide, there's a dark demon power that could and should have been challenged. Should have been challenged. Behind every failed Christian marriage, and now the failed marriages, the number is as big amongst the Christian uh, couples 
as they are amongst the non-Christian couples. Don't you think if they prayed, had prayed together and made prayer a priority and prayed for each other? My wife and I spend time every day in praying together, and we pray for each other. Do you pray for your husband, your wife, in each other's hearing? Do you? Do you? Does your husband or wife know where to find you at a certain time of the day? Does God ever waken you up in the middle of the night at four or five o'clock to pray? And do you respond? There have been times my wife and I have been in Africa and we're sure that somebody must have prayed. Otherwise, we would have been dead. Not once or twice, but at least a half a dozen, if not ten times. Somebody prayed somewhere. If you're not a praying Christian, are you sure that you are a Christian? Come on now. You say, that's too pointed. You're, you're undermining my, my faith. Well, God has sent me here to challenge every foundation of your life, because it's that serious. If we knew Jesus Christ was coming before next weekend, don't you think we'd make a few changes in our lives? If we were like Lot, and I hope you're not, living where he lived, he shouldn't have been there in the first place. He was more concerned about good markets for his cattle than good schools for his children. How could you get a good school in Sodom or Gomorrah? We're more concerned about money and making money than morals and what the Word of God says. Is it not true? <clears throat> I believe it is. But if, God, if you were in Sodom and the angels had come and told you this place is going to go on fire before the morning, or if you were told it was a week away, how would you live those last hours or those last days? Would you make changes? Would you make changes? John Wesley lived very close to God, and somebody asked him, Mr. Wesley, if you knew that you were going to die uh, by this time tomorrow night, what would you do? He'd pull out his diary, and he, um, he turned over the pages, and uh, he says, I would preach in the morning at half past five in City Road Chapel in London. Half past five now. And then I would uh, go to such and such a house and I would um, uh, have breakfast with uh, some friends. We would have prayer and we'd have discussion. And then I would travel to such and such a place and I would preach in the open air. And then I would go to another and I'd preach in the open air there too. And then I'd travel on for, and I'd have another preaching engagement and he would go down through this listing. And then he said in the evening I'd come back at the time and I would take off my coat and I would pray and I would sit down and just wait for the Lord to come and take me home. He had no changes. He had everything planned out. A busy life. He said, Lord, I don't, don't allow me to live to be useless. And if ever there was a useful and a fulfilled and very, very active and productive life in service for Jesus Christ, that man, that man had it.
And so Jesus woke up the disciples and he said, Peter, I can't believe it. You, 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 you're sleeping too. You said you'd die for me. I didn't ask you to die for me. I asked you to watch with me for one hour. And that's what the Lord wants me to emphasize as I close now. Watch with Jesus for one hour. You say, one hour is not a long period of time. Well, it could represent any length of time, but it's a short time. Jesus is saying, watch with me until I come back. Oh, what a great privilege for the Lord to entrust us with such a great, great and powerful ministry. And Jesus went back to prayer, feeling these people were embarrassed and they would be shaken up. And he went back and he continued to pray. And this time as he prayed, he had what doctors call a cutaneous hemorrhage. He was under such strain and mental pressure and physical pressure that the uh, uh, capillaries underneath the immediate surface of his skin ruptured. And, 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 and blood oozed out and mingled with sweat. It, it came down his face in red rivulets. A cutaneous hemorrhage. The agony of prayer. And because the, his disciples failed to stand with him, God had to send angels from heaven. How many? We don't know. But they stood with him. They stood with him. And they supported him. Otherwise he would have died. You know, if the disciples had done their part, the angels would not have needed to have come. And it may be that God is sending angels here and there to do work which he wanted you, you to do through prayer, but you failed him. An unprecedented lost opportunity. I'm calling you to pray for the church and for the nation and for your family and to get a hold on God. Oh, please, my brothers and sisters, do your part. And on that great day, when earth and seas have fled and the judge of all the earth takes his place, on his throne. You'll not be sorry that you did. There are a lot of good and godly people in this house, praying people. I salute you in Jesus' name. I say, don't give in, don't give up. Strengthen the stand that you're taking. Be a man of God. And every man of God or woman of God, is a man or woman of prayer. Every man or woman of God, every man or woman of prayer is a holy man or a holy woman. We're leading and living clean, upstanding lives of integrity. And nobody can point a finger at us. Heard about a man one time, and in his eyes, everybody were hypocrites. Everybody. Somebody was trying to invite him to a gospel mission. He said, would you like to come to our gospel mission? Here's, here's a we in. Ah, oh, he said, go to a gospel mission. So the place is just full of hypocrites. And the man said, uh, he happened to know. He said, what about John? Uh, let's say, call him just um, John Smith living down. Oh, oh, he's all right. He's different, he said. 
Your neighbor knows what kind of Christian you are. Your family know what kind of Christian you are. And if you never pray, I think you are letting God's cause grow weak and be ultimately defeated. Um, Jesus came back a second time and they were still asleep. And uh, he came back then a third time and he said, sleep on now. This is my last word. Sleep on now. If I came here tonight and that was my text and I just stood up here for five or ten minutes and said, I've got a word from God for you tonight. Just sleep on now. One day that text will be appropriate. And it may be that in some churches and in some places, that's God's message, God's last word. Just sleep on now. You've done your own thing. You've had it your way. You haven't been praying. You haven't been trying to build my kingdom. You haven't been trying to confront the gates of hell. You haven't been trying to uh, um, mobilize other people to win souls. You haven't been doing it. Just sleep on now. It's too late. And that's what Jesus said to them. Sleep on now. Insofar as he was concerned, in that great unprecedented ordeal, they couldn't have done anything for him. It was over. They had missed their opportunity. My brothers and sisters, I need to close now, and um, I humbly ask you to take the Word of God home with you, and don't let one word of complaint or murmur get out of your lips. Do you think you could do that? That man was too hard and too harsh on the congregation. But I want you to know everything I've said to you, I've said to my wife's husband. I've been talking to my own heart. I'm a servant of God, and I know what I'm talking about. And I know I've got a burning message. And it's for you, and it's for this congregation at this time. God help all of us to change our lifestyles, particularly insofar as the culture of prayer, godliness, the study of the Word of God, and serving God is concerned. Lord, bless this Word. Don't let it fall on deaf ears. Lord, don't let the devil snatch it away too soon. Bless your word and the dear people who have been patient to hear it, to receive it. And those powerful, beautiful songs that Denver and Sharon have sung to us earlier on, please bless them, Lord. They exalted you, and the angels have been very excited, and all heaven have been uh, in an uproar of joy and happiness because of what has been sung in praise to our lovely Lord. Bless us now as we close this meeting with a hymn, and I pray that you would touch all of us and each of us. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen.